0: Well, hello, Christ Chapel. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. It's great and my honor to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. You know, it's one of those mornings where I I just wish that I was able to just hug each one of you and to love on you a little bit. You know, in 2007, there was a story about a hiker who died. Uh, due to dehydration, yet he was surrounded by water. Uh, listen, listen to the written account. It says pale, racked by cramps, his speech slurred. The 29-year-old New Jersey man was desperate for water and hallucinating so badly he mistook a tree for a person. After going roughly 10 hours without a drink in the 100-degree heat, he finally dropped dead of thirst, face down in the dirt, less than 100 yards from the goal, a cave with a pool of water. But the man was no solitary soul, lost and alone in the desert. He and 11 other hikers from various walks of life were being led by expert guides on a wilderness survival adventure designed to test their physical strength and mental toughness. The guides, it turned out, were carrying emergency water on that summer day. He wasn't told that and he wasn't offered any. The guides did not want him to fail the $3,175 course that he had paid for. They wanted him to dig deep, push himself beyond his known limits and make it to the cave on his own. Unfortunately, uh, the man didn't make it. He was surrounded by water, yet he died of thirst. Uh, To finish the story, the authorities did not file charges against the school saying that there was really insufficient knowledge or evidence that the the people acted in criminal negligence. And so, uh, They realized that the participants knew that they were taking a risk, so they didn't press charges. But as tragic as that sounds, there is no life without water. We need water to live. And what's true in the physical is, is often true in the spiritual as well. Water is seen as the source of life, living water, the source of life. In Psalm 1, verse 3, in Psalm 42, Isaiah 12, Revelation 22, water is refreshing, it's life-giving. We need water to live. You know, we've been looking at our seven words from the cross in this series, and we've looked at forgiveness and salvation, and we've looked at relationship. All of those words have looked at the personal side of those words from the cross. Last week, Cody looked at Matthew chapter 27 in looked at the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Cody pointed out that there's a mystery behind those words. How is the one who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf? It's really a mystery that that we have. This week, we're going to look at the fifth word from the cross, translated in the English as I thirst. Now, in the Greek, it really is, One word. The word is dipso. Truly a word that we can all understand. And basically what it's saying is Jesus is saying, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. But that raises the question, how can God be thirsty? How can God be thirsty? In theology, we had this concept. It's called, and I know this is a big word, but it's called the hypostatic union. It's a theological expression that refers to the dual nature of Christ. God, the Son, took on human nature. He remained forever true God, true man, two natures natures in one person forever. Two remain distinct without any intermingling. But nevertheless, they compose one person, Jesus Christ, who is... Fully 100% God and fully 100% man. But how is that that possible? Two truths held in tension. A paradox, a mystery. If you try to reason that out on your own, you're probably going to end up in error one way or the other. So I want to look at our passage today in, in John chapter 19 verse 28 from those two sides. From... The human side, but also from the divine side. From the humanity side, from the physical, the temporal, the son of man side. But then look at it from the deity, the, the spiritual, the eternal, the son of God side. So if, if you have your Bibles handy, you turn to John chapter 19, verse 28. John chapter 19, verse 28. And look at it with me because Jesus was thirsty because he was fully, fully human. He was 100% man. In John chapter 19, verse 28, look at what it says. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Jesus knew, all was now finished, and said to fulfill the Scriptures, I thirst. There's a little bit of a word play going on here between the word finished and fulfilled. But in other words, all things necessary for the fulfillment of Scripture, the provision of that redemption that Jesus was going to make was now finished. Jesus was near death. He was near death. And at that moment of near death, he comes to the place where he says, I'm thirsty. And it really expresses that desperate need that he has for water. And in fact, our word this week is desperation, because it highlights that physical desperate need that Jesus had for that water. And the scripture that spoke of the Messiah's thirst in Psalm chapter 22, verse 15, it says, my Tongue sticks to my jaws just out of that thirst. Also, Psalm 69 21, he says, For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. And so there's a fulfillment of scripture that's going on, but it authenticates his humanity. And in your notes, if you pull up your notes, in your notes, you have a little box there that talks about the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is 100% man. He had a human body, he had a human soul and spirit. But notice that one section there in your notes which says, he was subject to the limitations of humanity. He got hungry. He was thirsty. He grew tired. He wept. He was tested. Notice the last one. He was also able to die. Jesus' mention of his thirst resulted in a soldier or the soldiers that were there to offer him some vinegar, some sour wine to drink, which was referred to in Psalm 69. I think John was really stressing that Jesus was not only fulfilling God's will, but he was also fulfilling prophetic scripture as well. Now, this wasn't the first time that Jesus had been offered wine. You remember back in in Mark and Matthew that he had been offered bitter wine at the very beginning before he was crucified. And that that wine that he was offered then was really thought to be kind of an intoxicant to try to numb the pain for those who were about to, to suffer. But Jesus refused to drink of that wine. But this is the incident here in, in John chapter 19 is a separate incident that's offered to quench his thirst after hanging on the cross for some time. And that wine was probably a cheap wine that the soldiers drank. It's a wine vinegar that doesn't have any alcohol left in it but had turned actually to vinegar. Pretty awful stuff. It wasn't Kool-Aid or anything of that nature. But it was a drink that was popular with the soldiers at the Roman army at that particular time. It was made by diluting that sour wine with some water, and it was inexpensive. It was considered somewhat of a thirst quencher, but it also helped to kill some of the bacteria in the water, and that vinegary taste helped to kind of mask some of the smell that came from the water that they were drinking. And all over the empire, it was kind of the soldier's drink of choice, and most likely they had brought a pot there to satisfy their thirst while they were doing their tour of duty, so to speak, there at the crucifixion site. While a criminal who was about ready to be hung on the cross would be able to take a cup to drink, after hanging on the cross, there was no way that he was going to be able to do that, and so they used a sponge to give him a drink. You say, where where in the world did the sponge come from? Well, Sponges really came from the Mediterranean Sea, but a lot of times, the way I understand it is that soldiers would use the sponge to kind of pad that Roman soldier helmet that they had. Why do I bring that up? Well, because I think it's a beautiful scene. Here, the soldiers offered Jesus a drink from their own supply. One of the soldiers took a sponge out of his helmet and used that as a, as a way to be able to offer the drink. They didn't have to, to do that, but I think probably that they saw Jesus was dying unlike any other criminal that they had ever seen. No cursing, no blaming, no anger, just pure love, pure love. You know, First Peter Chapter 2 says in verse 22, it says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The hyssop plant was probably readily available. It was a common bush. It was a weed that grew out of the rocky crevices that were nearby. But the hyssop, if you remember, was used by, by the, the, the Jews on the first Passover night to sprinkle blood on the lentil. And the cross was very, most likely, very close to the ground. It was most likely a crossbeam that was laid on top of a cut off stump. And so they weren't very far from Jesus. And so a sponge on a hyssop branch, they would not have had to have lifted up too high to be able to reach, reach Jesus why was he thirsty? Well, he was thirsty because of everything that he had endured. Jesus had to have been in excellent physical condition. I mean, he was a carpenter by trade, but they walked all over the countryside. So he had to have been in excellent physical condition. So if this torture could break a strong man like Jesus most likely was, it, it must have been horrific. And The English language, we get our word excruciating from the word crucifixion because it was a slow, horrible death. It was excruciating pain. But one of the effects over the the crucifixion was dehydration and thirst. Remember, even before Jesus got to the cross, he'd been flogged. So he had lost a, a lot of blood just from the flogging. Jesus' thirst was a natural body response to all of that blood loss and remember also they placed a crown of thorns on his head and it starts the bleeding profusely from your forehead as well Jesus was dehydrated sour wine wasn't going to quench his thirst but I think that the soldiers out of out of just compassion for him took something that was convenient, it was handy, was readily available. They wanted to help, but they really realized that this wasn't really going to fully satisfy his thirst. You know, I wonder how often we look to try to satisfy somebody else's thirst just with something that's convenient or readily available, maybe by giving some sort of platitude or that merely serves as somewhat, some, some kind of pablum rather than really going for the source of the issue. But here's the irony. The one who at the beginning of his earthly ministry turned turned the water into fine wine was now at the end of his earthly ministry asking for water and was giving sour wine. But you know, because Jesus is fully human, he's able to identify with everything that's going on in my life. Everything that's going on in my life. Brings me great comfort to know that Jesus is able to identify with all of the things that are going on in my life. Whether it's emotional or physical or spiritual, he knows my grief, he knows my pain, he knows my thirst, he knows my hunger, he even knows death. Jesus had a physical thirst. But here's the mystery. He also talks about a spiritual thirst. A thirst that's in our souls. You see, the physical will always give way to the spiritual. The temporal will always give way to the eternal. The seen will always give way to the unseen. And here's the irony. The one who was thirsty was himself the source of living water. Jesus was physically thirsty, And yet, he's able to quench your spiritual thirst. Turn in your Bibles just a couple pages back to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And specifically, we'll start at verse 37. And the context of this passage is the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, happened on October. Chapter 6 was the the Passover, which happened in in the spring. Josephus called... The Feast of Tabernacles, one of the three great feasts of the of the of the of the of the of the year. It was a time where Jews would come and spend a week outdoor in booths, remembering how God had provided for them during those wilderness wanderings. And one of the solemn processions that happened each day is at the end of the day, the high priest would go down to the pool of Siloam and he would. Take a picture of water, and they would sing joyously as they would go back up to the Temple Mount from Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. He says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The priest would come back to the altar and he would pour that water out onto the altar. And really, what he was doing at that time was, was really was pouring pouring the water out. It's how God had poured out his blessing upon the, the nation in the past during their wilderness wanderings how God had poured out their blessing on the present because it really was a harvest festival, but how God would once again pour out his blessing upon the nation of Israel in the future. That had happened six times by the time we get to our passage. Look at what happens in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as a scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as of yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Six times this had happened before. The last day of the great day of the feast, the high priest goes down and brings the water, he begins to pour out the water on the altar and you can almost see all of the Jews all around just kind of watching. And you can hear the water hit the, hit the stone. Cecil's sanctified imagination here. I think that that's probably when Jesus stood up. It said, Jesus stood up. High priest is pouring out the water. Silence. And Jesus, at that moment stands up and he goes, If anyone is still thirsty, come to me and drink. What's he saying? He's saying, you have just experienced the best that Judaism and religion has to offer. It doesn't get any better than this. This is is a feast of tabernacles. It doesn't get any better. And if this doesn't fill your soul, if you are still thirsty, come to me and drink. Notice three things. First, Jesus is 100% God. Not only is he 100% man, but Jesus is 100% God. This isn't the only time that Jesus has talked about providing livable. Living water, he realizes that we are not going to have what it takes to be able to satisfy our own thirst. There's a deeper thirst that goes beyond the physical into the spiritual that we are not going to be able to satisfy. And he begins to speak to that. Remember in John chapter 4, verses 10 through 14, where Jesus meets the woman at the well. And after Jesus meets her in John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus said to the woman, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says, "Give me a drink," you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman asks in verse eleven, "says Where do you get that living water?" And then in verse thirteen, it's going to come up on the screen. He says, "Everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the physical water, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that." I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. You see, Jesus is the only one that's going to be able to provide that water. But notice also that that living water that Jesus provides is open and available to anyone. Everyone is invited. Notice the passage. is all inclusive. It's an open invitation. It says, "If anyone thirsts, whoever believes." It's not just available to those who are more gifted or to those who are more deserving. It's not to those who are more entitled. It's not to those who do the right things or to people who go to the right church or to those who are maybe demonstrate that they're more holy. Every person is invited to to drink of the living water. Has nothing to do with your vocation or your location or your reputation. It has everything to do with consecration. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're currently going through, everybody, no matter what awful thing you think is keeping you from God, Jesus says, if you're still thirsty, if you're still thirsty, Come to me and drink. And notice that the source of living water is Jesus himself. Jesus is the source of the living water. You need to go to the right source. You know, typically when we get to our place when we're being squeezed by outside pressures, typically we begin to grab at just about anything that we can to to try to find some answers. We'll go to the latest book or the latest speaker or the latest class or the latest guru or whatever to try to find some sort of answers. Jesus is saying no, you need to come to me. You see, he's going to satisfy your thirst personally, not by proxy. He wants to have that personal relationship with you. Where do you where do you normally run when things get get tough? Is Jesus who you run to? Notice also it says, you know, Come to me and drink. Interesting, it's a a present imperative tense there, which means keep coming, keep drinking, keep coming, keep drinking. I always got a kick out of going to Israel, and when you go to Israel, you'll see that there's really three sources of water in Israel. There's well water, you know, like Jacob's well, or the well in Beersheba, where they dig down to the water table and drink that water. There's cistern water, like at Qumran, where where they dig out little trenches and they take the runoff from the wadis and they kind of make these trenches in the dirt into underground pots. That's, that's cistern water. And then you have living water. Living water is the kind of runoff water that comes off of Mount Hermon towards the north up by Dan. And it's like Rocky Mountain spring water. You say, okay, which one would you rather drink from? You know, well water, uh, it's okay. Cistern water, oh gosh, that's that's awful. Or well, you know, or living water, which is that Rocky Mountain spring water. I'd rather, I'd rather drink of that. Jeremiah 2.13, one of my passages that I love. It says, For my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water and have dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. In other words, the root of the problem is I want to drink from the cistern of man's approval rather than going to the source of living water, which is Jesus Christ himself. I would rather quench my thirst with something that's more convenient or something that's more available rather than going to Jesus Christ. I'd rather find some easy fix, short-circuit the process, rather than reading the Bible myself. See, the living water that Jesus provides will quench your thirst. And here's the point. Jesus was thirsty on the cross so that he could be living water to you now. He was thirsty on the cross so that he could be living water to you. So what am I asking you to do first? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, the one who understands your thirst. He understands your thirst and he's the source of living water. You know, are you thirsty for something in your soul? Are you thirsty for something more? Maybe you're Tired of trying to live up to a set of rules and standards that you just can't live up to. Maybe rules and regulations made up by somebody else. Maybe you're tired of trying to live to a set of standards that try to give the appearance of righteousness when down deep inside you realize that it's not what's happening. And there's that emptiness, that that confusion inside. I don't know why I do the things that I do when I want to do the things that Please God. All that stuff that we're trying to do is legalism and religion. Jesus says has nothing to do with religion. You've just experienced the best that Judaism has. If you're still thirsty, if you don't find this satisfying, come to me. Come to me and drink. I will provide for you living water. You know, when we say come, we're not We're not asking you to join a denomination. We're not asking you to to give money. We're not asking you to look righteous on the outside. We're not asking you to live up to some sort of standards. We're asking you to come to a person, and that's Jesus Christ. Because as you come to him, he will change your heart, and all of those things will flow out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. The living water that Jesus provides is available to anyone who believes. Anyone who believes. Remember that hiker that I mentioned at the beginning was surrounded by water and yet he died from thirst. Surrounded by water, yet he died from thirst. Just like that hiker who died from physical dehydration. When in actuality he was really surrounded by water, you know, right now you're surrounded by an offer. You may be thirsty and you're surrounded by an offer of living water. You Don't need to die of dehydration of the soul, so to speak. All you need to do is to believe. Jesus Christ died for your sins and arose from the dead. Romans 5 8 says, God demonstrates his love towards us in the while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. He died for your sins and arose from the dead as proof that that sacrifice that he made on our behalf was an acceptable sacrifice to a holy God. And all he's asking us is to is to believe. Is to believe. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believe. Trust. Faith to transfer our trust from whatever we are trusting in right now to try to get right with God to what Jesus Christ has already provided for us on the cross. Trusting in that and him and him alone as the only way to be able to to get right with God. Will you trust Jesus right now? Will you come to him? Come to him? You know, you can express that decision that you make just by, by a prayer and saying, you know, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, and rose from the dead, and I trust in him alone as the only way to be able to get right with you. Thank you for that forgiveness of sins and that eternal life that I now have. You know, if you prayed that prayer this morning, this afternoon. For the first time today, will you write us? Will you tell us? We'd love to be able to respond to you, to reach out to you and send you some materials to get you started in in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was thirsty on the cross. He was thirsty on the cross so that he can be living water to you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the reality of your word. And I pray for those today who are thirsty. Maybe they're struggling with trials, either financial trials or physical trials or relationships that turn sour. Whatever it is, my prayer is that they might come to you and give it to you right now. Thank you that you are the one who understands our thirst, can identify all of our trials because of who you are. Minister to your people through your word. Draw them closer to you. May we all rely and trust in you in everything that we do. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We pray all of these things in Christ's name.